0: Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast. Well, uh, Leaders Week, we've got Ontario Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca. We'll talk about his new transit plan that got a lot of attention, a lot of tongues wagging as well, thinking of money that could be saved, taking the TTC, taking the go, going even outside of the GTA and utilizing transit. Josh Matlow wants us to be able to Drink in parks. How do you feel about that? Well, some city councillors are on board, and some clearly weren't last year when he brought up the motion, but he's back to do it again. It happens in a lot of other world-class cities, so why not Toronto? That and much, much more, and, of course, the leak that got onto Politico's website that Roe v. Wade is in great jeopardy at the top the, uh, top level of the Supreme Court of the United States. We'll touch on that as well. All coming up on Toronto Today, which starts now. Let me start here. If you saw it last night, uh, there's news on the pro-choice, pro-life front. The Supreme Court has voted to strike down the landmark Roe v. Wade decision. Now, they didn't sit in chambers and vote. Not yet anyway. But there is a draft majority opinion that got leaked. Who's the leaker and who's the leaky, I like to say? Who does this benefit to get this out there? My suspicion, I'll tell you about it in a couple minutes from now, but Politico got a hold of the document. And this is a, this is absolutely to me reading just some of the summary of it. um, And I'm no law expert. I wrote the LSAT, did decently, took some pre-law courses, stayed at a holiday and express once, all that stuff. But this seems to me a definitive repudiation of Roe v. Wade. More so than any other Supreme Court um, denotation before this. Before this, um, and it 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 it's certainly it's something that is going to get a lot of traffic today. It's going to get a lot of traffic leading into the midterm elections, which are going to be whether you like it or not, very problematic uh, for the Democratic Party. Joe Biden still has his job, but a lot of senators will not. Even more. Congressmen and Congresswomen on the Democratic side will not. But uh, Alito, Justice uh, Samuel Alito, wrote the majority opinion. Here's some of the quote. Obviously, we don't have him reading it, so I'm going to sub in for Justice Samuel Alito and a little bit of a role play here. Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. We hold that Roe and Casey, which was a Planned Parenthood v. Casey case in 1992, this is also, this was leading up to Bill Clinton's election, Bill Clinton running against both Ross Perot and George Herbert Walker Bush, because this was during a Bush presidency and a Republican-held Senate. We hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. That's what Samuel Alito writes in the document. It is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. Okay, two things on that. And then I'm going to let you hear from uh, MSNBC's Rachel Maddow, who was uh, emotional about this last night. The Constitution doesn't say anything. The Constitution of the United States says nothing about abortion. So when people, it, it's not for it, it's not against it. Amazingly enough, when people went to backyard barbecues in 1776, well, first of all, they were probably worried about getting uh, beheaded or thrown in the, in the, you know, in the river. But either way, um, the those backyard barbecues didn't hold a lot of discussion about pro-life pro-choice near the end of the 18th century. I know you're shocked. So am I. So was I to have read that, but nonetheless, it is that issue that we don't tend to bring up. It is that uncomfortable conversation about bodily autonomy, about, uh, when does a life become a life? You know that that's true. There's two things you really don't want to bring up at somebody else's house. Unless you know them really, really well, what are they? Middle Eastern politics, pro-choice, pro-life. Those are honestly those are about the two big things at the end of the day. Rachel Maddow said this while talking with Chris Hayes on MSNBC last night.
1: If this ruling is going, if the if the the ultimate ruling from the court is going to look anything like this, and we're going into a midterm season where the Republicans are poised to take the House and the Senate. Um, then, you know, President Biden is still President Biden, and he would presumably veto such a measure. But if the, in the event that we had a Republican president in 2024, um, that's where we'd be. We'd be at a, you know, South America style nationwide abortion ban in America.
0: I'll read you this again. Uh, Samuel Lito wrote, Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. Its reasoning was exceptionally weak, and the decision has had damaging consequences. And it's been involved. It's been in in, uh, in the court system 50 years. It's been that defense. And it's been allowing women to have choice when it comes to their bodies. And far from bringing about a national settlement of the abortion issue, he continues, Roe and Casey have inflamed debate and deepened division. Well, two things on that. One, yes, it's always going to be a debated issue. It didn't matter whether it was Roe v. Wade, Smith v. Smith, Jones v. Smith, whatever. Um, of course, that was going to be the case. The, the decision in its essence to the to the letter of it of the law is not what inflamed debate. The debate was there before Roe v. Wade, deepening division. Yeah, I, I can see that. I, I actually agree with that sentiment. But four of the other Republican appointed justices—Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett—the latter two being Trump appointees—that's what they're there for. That is what they're there for. Kavanaugh and Barrett were put onto the Supreme Court to be pro-life and to be staunchly pro-life, I think what people didn't quite see coming is this conservative majority on the Supreme Court would kind of, you know, snip, snip, snip away at abortion rights without just flipping this on its head, uh, the 49-year-old case and switching it around. Matto goes on to make the point that timing over the next several months is key.
1: The fact that it's being leaked, this fact that this is being leaked now, we will have whatever the ruling is, we will have the ruling before the November election. Uh, I mean, this this is is like a a four-number Sudoku. This isn't a very hard puzzle, right? This is, in terms of people figuring out what the stakes are of their vote in November, in terms of the midterms, putting whichever party in in control of either House of Congress um, will, among other things, determine whether or not we're about to become a country that bans abortion nationwide.
0: That's Rachel Maddow on MSNBC last night. Here's the problem as well. Here's something of uh, of uh, Politico put out 10 points about the judgment here. The inescapable conclusion is that a right to abortion is not deeply rooted in the nation's history and traditions. On the contrary, an unbroken tradition of prohibiting abortion on pain of criminal punishment persisted, persisted from the earliest days of the common law until 1973. Let me raise my hand and say, hold it a minute. We don't want laws from the 1700s or the 1800s or the early 1900s. We don't want uh, you know, issues like Brown v. Board of Education or Plessy Ferguson. We don't want segregation in schools. We don't want black people not to be allowed to go into restaurants. And many of those laws existed until 55, 60 years ago also. So is there progress here or is there not? Now, some of you may wonder, what does this mean for Canada? I don't think it means very much. I think it would be really interesting to find out the perspective of some of the conservative leaders. I think Lesley Lewis has put herself out there and said that she is staunchly pro-life. But I don't think we think Lesley Lewis is in line to become the prime minister and you know, vis-a-vis the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. On the campaign trail in 2019, though... Andrew Scheer had to be out there and talking about this, and he had to have talks about gay marriage, and he also had to have talks about abortion. Here he is is at a rally in central Ontario in the summer of 2019. I am personally pro-life, but I've also made the commitment that as leader of this party, it is my
2: responsibility to ensure uh, that we do not reopen this debate.
0: Yeah, you're not, it's not, there isn't the appetite for it here. I think there isn't the appetite even to talk about same-sex marriage. And Sheer was more vocal about that and obviously made the comparison that two people of the same sex was like marrying an animal, a domesticated animal, years earlier. And that video, you know, obviously surfaced, video usually does, and it came back to haunt him uh, to a great extent. Now, I'll say this about where we're at in terms of our political discourse, A lot of people are making the case, and I see why it's going to work. I don't necessarily agree, but I see this as going to work in the United States. Oh, let me get this straight. People on the left are talking about choices and bodily autonomy and an implied right to consent, even while understanding there's concerns from the other side of the debate. Okay, how did that go when it came to getting vaccinated? Not so well. And as somebody that would have encouraged mandates, been for mandates last July, August, and September, and am no longer in any context, in any context, it was meant to be for a short period of time. And um, at least in this case, I'm a man of my word. And many other people are as well. You saw the point in July, August, and September. You do not anymore. So there's a lot of outrage, a lot of outrage, and I understand it. I understand uh, people, the idea of of having a flip from pro-choice to pro-life so staunchly in the United States. I understand why there's outrage from the same people who were screaming for COVID vaccine mandates, and some still do, okay? So you might see bodily autonomy as something that's absolute and maybe a right of you as an adult, and you also can hear concerns from the other side of the debate. Look, millions of kids have disappeared from elementary schools, pediatric suicide, high on the rise, depression, high on the rise, two and three year olds wearing masks 35 hours a week. We have food shortages. And uh, and now you want everybody to mobilize and make 2022 just about abortion. Well, I'm with you. I am staunchly pro-choice. But I think it's going to be difficult to sway all the other people that you alienated to get the same energy and fuel up when you didn't care when they were talking about education, when you didn't seem to care when they were talking about bodily autonomy and when you didn't seem to care about talking about how our younger people are doing and how we also isolated older people as well. I think those will be really interesting things to consider. And we're very pleased to welcome on the Ontario Liberal leader. He is Stephen Del Duca. It's great to have you on. Listen, if this goes long enough, you could be the first, and if things go right, you could be the first premier since John Robarts to welcome the Maple Leafs to, to a Stanley Cup parade. Lot of, lot of. Well, Bill, I mean, Bill, the legendary Bill Davis didn't even get to do this, Stephen.
3: My, my goodness, what a what a great occasion that would be! It would really make Ontario a place to grow. You know, that's uh, hearkening back to those uh, those days.
0: <laughs> um. Yeah. Totally. So your your uh your transit announcement yesterday, a buck a ride. I'm fascinated by it. I uh, you know me. I live out in Ajax, and I always say. Yep. If me and three friends come in on a Saturday to watch watch the Leafs, you know, when uh, people like me can afford it, so we'd come during the regular season. Um right. uh, you know, it's going to cost us about 90 bucks to get on the go together, and there's not a right. lot of incentive for a group rate. There's not a lot of ince- so what do we do? We pile in the car probably instead, pay 30 bucks to park, and um and it's not very efficient and we feel a bit bad about about driving. I'm sure people th- those those anecdotes like that are on your mind, but it's also people getting back to it after the pandemic. It's people that have to go to work. It's people that need to be on public transit five days a week. Am I right?
3: Yeah, you're 100 percent right. I mean, the story you just told, I think is pretty typical, for example, across the greater Toronto and Hamilton area and beyond. in other communities like Ottawa and elsewhere, people who would prefer to take public transit. It You know, it is you know, you don't have to worry about it. To, impaired driving or any of those challenges that you don't want to have to experience, of course, and it's just not its not accessible enough, it's not affordable enough. You are 100% right that ridership has plummeted during the pandemic with people working from home and also people who've been concerned about getting back on public transit. So by delivering $1 transit fares, buck a ride province-wide, as I like to call it, I think that will get ridership back up. It'll take about 400,000 cars off our roads And it's just, it's going to make life more affordable for hardworking families in Ajax or Vaughan or elsewhere. And that's why I'm really excited about it.
0: Now, this is something that would be in place for around 18 months. So I think it's an obvious question. I'm sure he got asked it yesterday. Do you worry? You give something. I think we did this with newspapers for too long. They're free online. Then there's a paywall. Music, same thing for people who buy music. You're given something for for borderline nothing. Can you then push the prices back to similar rates to where they're at now, 18 months uh, uh, later, and then not have an uproar?
3: Yeah, listen, it's a great question, and and I did get asked the question yesterday, not surprisingly. And here's here's what I've said. I I want to, in our own budgeting for this particular commitment, we anticipate ridership will grow. So in year one, we think it's we, you know we expect that it's going to cost or we'll have to invest about seven hundred and ten million dollars in year two because we expect ridership will grow. We have budgeted one point one billion dollars. What what I've said. Is that as premier I would want to work closely with mayors across the communities that have public transit to make sure and with MetroLink and go at the table to make sure that we collectively make decisions that make sense to me this is about priorities and for me as a former transportation minister and someone who loves transit who wants to expand transit everywhere uh, this is something that I'm, I'm, I'm really committed to and I think here in this province we collectively, you know, the mayors, the premier, frankly, even the federal government at the table, we can we can find creative ways to make sure that transit remains affordable.
0: Stephen Del Duke is our guest on Toronto Today on six forty Toronto. Are people who don't use public transit subsidizing this? I grew up in London, Ontario. I might have come to Toronto taking the subway four times in my first 25 years of life. My parents kind of same thing in a half century. Does somebody say across Ontario, I'm nowhere near the GTA. I'm nowhere near where I could even get on a bus. Are they paying for this?
3: Well, think about it this way. There are, so first of all, it, it would apply to all municipal transit. So someone growing up like you did in London today would be able to hop, hop on the local mm-hmm. transit system and it would be a dollar a ride there. By the way, we're also knocking monthly passes down to $40. So that's a huge savings for those who are, purchasing those, those monthly passes, you know, we have about 100, 105 municipalities in this province that run their own transit systems, but those 100, 105 municipalities represent somewhere around 75 or 80% of Ontario's population. In other words, it is the overwhelming number of Ontarians who do have some degree of access to public transit. I want more of them to take public transit. I want the ridership to grow everywhere in this province. While we continue to expand transit options, making it more affordable is good for the environment, it's good for people's pocketbooks, and I think it's the exact kind of relief that people want right now.
0: I think about Toronto a lot. I, I drive downtown uh, every day in the morning because there's no transit available th- that early. And I think about the city, and uh, And I do think people need to be in the city more. I'm sure you've thought about this, too, that we look at a lot of North American cities, New York, Chicago, Toronto, and we say, we, you know, I'm sure you've, you'll have these conversations with John Tory. We, we need a vibrant city. We need a lively city. We can't just come in for a big Leafs game or a big concert or, or the CNE. And I, I wonder if you sort of wrestle with that, with the going back to... To work you 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 mentioned um, a four-day work week and and that appeals to a lot of people who yeah. want to be better parents who want to spend more time with their family and and bosses might want more you know let more employees that aren't burned out is there a is there a fine line between keeping big cities vibrant and alive and businesses going and and allowing people more options to work from home?
3: You know, I, I don't think that I, I think all of those things can be accomplished. Again, first of all, you've got to be as a premier, you've got to be at the table working collaboratively with mayors. You mentioned John Tory with someone like John Tory and all of the other mayors and councils we have across the city. We have the, the, the various organizations at local and regional levels that help support tourism options, for example. And I think that we did learn during the pandemic that we can be very creative, whether it's in Toronto or elsewhere. Under the most difficult circumstances we've had to face in generations, we did find ways to help open up more opportunities for pedestrian-only sections of the province, for exa- or the city, for example. Mm. Uh, the way that the, you know bars and restaurants were able to expand their patio spaces. We saw an announcement from from Mayor Tory just yesterday about uh, expanding options for bringing more people into the city over the course of the next uh, the next summer, the summer months that are about to be upon us. We hope with the weather getting better soon. Uh, So I think there's lots of ways for us to deal with this. But here's the thing. By making public transit only $1 per ride, I'm talking about the GTHA for a second, Mm -hmm. from one end to the other, it'll be so much more affordable for a family of four or five or whatever it is to hop on a go train or a streetcar or a subway car to get where they want to go, to see an attraction, to support our local economy. And, you know, I have to believe it's Mm going to have significant economic uplift at a local level, which we desperately need after this pandemic.
0: Stephen Del Duca uh, kind enough to join us on Toronto today. I feel like your campaign, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. I think it's moved on the <laughs> COVID front. You will, I know you will. Uh, it, it's moved from restrictions and mandates to d- drilling down on what the Ford government got wrong in the first in the first you know twenty months or so. And I got all day to talk about that. Long term care, uh, schools not being prepared. I got all the time in the world for that. But I think people have decided that they and I talked to some of your MPPs. They want to, and MPP candidates. They want to manage their own risk. I think they want those conversations about healthcare, increasing healthcare capacity. But that's what I see to some extent. I, I, am I way off? I think people do a lot of the predictions from the science table from some of the more prominent doctors. Stephen, they haven't materialized. I don't want to call them wrong instead of right, but they haven't materialized in our hospitals and our ICUs blowing up since the mask mandate were lifted. So they're they they are more wrong than right, but I won't call them outright wrong. What's your thought on it?
3: Well, look, I think that we've learned a couple of things. Well, I, I hope we've learned a couple of things during the pandemic uh, that will 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 help us as we go forward, will help us guide, you know, guide the decisions that we make around health care, around our resiliency, around public health around education and long-term care, as you mentioned. You know, one of those lessons for me is that it is better to be vigilant and cautious and to make a tougher decision, what feels like a tougher decision, earlier on in a process, rather than having to grudgingly be dragged to the right decision the way that Doug Ford was repeatedly Mm -hmm. over the course of the last couple of years, which I do think made a tough situation for Ontarians dramatically worse at some critical moments, which I believe was unnecessary, Um, But again, being cautious, being vigilant, we still know a lot of, uh, we've talked about this before Mm -hmm. on your program, Mm -hmm. a lot of our youngest kids haven't necessarily gone to get the vaccine. I think there's a conversation we have to have on an ongoing basis around that. I think we have to look at our healthcare system and make sure that we build in that exceptionality and resiliency so we have enough nurses and personal support workers and doctors to withstand future challenges. So again, these are just some of the lessons that I've taken to heart as someone who's running to Mm -hmm. be premier about how we will go forward and build fundamental public systems, particularly in healthcare and education, That are strong enough to deal with future challenges
0: you did call um it's in the party platform to call for universal vaccinations for schools and you and i have talked about this before there's so much natural immunity acquired immunity post omicron so many people you know and i know uh their households were hit by omicron and the vast majority of of them uh, ended up recovering i see the numbers today 35.3 percent of of five to elevens are vaccinated. Um, Where do we stand on that? I don't know where we go with the mandates. I was adamantly for them in July, August, and September, but I I know in our subsequent conversations, I don't know where we go with them. Again, we have 40,000 people watching sports last night in the city, and nobody knows who's vaccinated. And I feel like the majority of people are okay with that now.
3: Yeah, look, I think I've said this from the very beginning. You and I have talked about it before. I think, you know, adding the COVID-19 vaccination to the list of or the roster of universal vaccines makes a lot of sense. I've said that from the very beginning. I feel very comfortable and very strongly about that. I, I think there's a reason that we we have, I believe it's eight or nine existing vaccines on that universal roster. I think adding this one is the right thing to do, and, and especially since in many of our schools across the province, even today, mm-hmm. uh, the, abs- the absences or the absentee rate for students is still higher than I would like it to be. You know, depending on where you are in the province, it's 10 percent, 15 percent on a per school mm-hmm. basis, in some cases a little bit higher. Of students who are not in school right now for a variety of reasons. So that doesn't make me feel comfortable as someone running to be premier because I think learning needs to be, well, learning needs to be universal and it needs to be essential and it needs to be resilient enough so our kids are getting the very best start and the very best chance to succeed. And that's why I've called for making the COVID-19 vaccine universal, and I stand by that.
0: And, and I, I know we only got about a minute, but are these, uh, where are we now? Are they, I have so many parents that say, my kid has two doses, like mine. My kid had Omicron, like one of mine did. Um, so th- there are many conversations about whether that universal vaccine is now two shots, three shots. There's a lot of complications to this. So where does the Liberal Party stand on that?
3: Yeah, look, I think the best thing to do on, on this this kind of topic, even though I, you know, they're not necessarily – uh, infallible i think the best way is to be guided by public health expertise and we are blessed in this province to have a ton of women and men who have been on the front lines of this from the very beginning whether it's on the science table or elsewhere to get that guidance i've said this from the very beginning we we as ontario liberals believe in in science we believe in evidence based decision making and i'm not a medical expert i'm not an epidemiologist but But I am comfortable enough in my own skin to know what I don't know, Greg. Mm -hmm. And that's why I would want to rely on those who study this, who understand it deeply, and be guided by their advice.
0: Ontario Liberal Leader Stephen Del Duca, uh, June 2nd is our Ontario provincial election. Thank you very much for making a generous time for our audience. They enjoy hearing your views. Thank you very much again, and I hope we can do this again before June 2nd.
3: For sure. Thanks, Greg. Have a great day. You got it.
0: You too. Stephen Del Duca, our guest. um, so Shiba Siddiqui joins me right now. I know you were listening intently to the uh, Stephen Del Duca conversation because you said a lot more conversations about four day work weeks. And, and uh, maybe four or five weeks ago when I was labeled the Don Draper of Chorus Radio, only <laughs> only for my desire to have a healthy, vibrant workplace and uh, and no smoking in it. Also, that was that's different from Mad Men. But uh, nonetheless, um, the four day work week, something that is still it's still a conversation point. Work from home is a conversation. The four day work week and and it all it all it, it ties in together.
4: So everywhere I went yesterday was Eve and Everywhere I went, even the congregation, like even the Imam that was talking, I'm telling you, like pe- parties, people, friends, family, everyone was talking about the four day work week. That was the one thing. Obviously, there were you know there was vaccines and masks and all that, which I'm sick of talking about. But <laughs> but another focus of the conversation was the four day work week and. You asked him the question. We, you know, we just had Stephen Del Duca on, and you yeah. asked him the question, and he kind of dodged it and started talking about transit and John Tory. And uh, I just, it's, and it's not just him. I get really frustrated with poli- these politicians, all of them across the board, who they, it, they've become masters of just not answering the question. Whatever, no matter how how direct someone is to them, they know they have their talking points. They want to hit their talking points, and that's that. Uh, but I personally love the idea of a four-day work week, especially after the conversations I had yesterday. I know you hate it. I know I you hate absolutely. It. Hate it. I know you do. But I don't but think we
0: can do our job. I like. What do we do? Do a I'm longer show?
4: I'm not here. I I wasn't born to solely do my job. That's not my main. I love my job. You know that. You know I love yes, doing I do. this. I love what we do. But this is not my whole end-all-be-all of my life. I need. I need balance, and I feel and. One focus, what's the biggest issue that we've had? One of the biggest issues during the pandemic, mental health. I feel like a four-day work week, three days off, I think that would solve a lot of that. I think it would bring so much balance into people's lives, family time. You can go golfing three days a week now. Right. You can go. You'll have your boys around to connect with them. Okay, but
0: so you want do you want. I can't see school being four days a week because the four day work week works for certain jobs. It does not work for this job. It doesn't work for for our for a radio show. There's no way it works. If you're talking a nine to five scenario where you're selling, processing something, you're a buyer, you're an accountant. I think you can do that stuff. You can be a lawyer four days a week. But what do we do with our kids? I don't think we can up the learning. Into uh, you know, pack longer school days in.
4: Bring in OAC. Bring in OAC. That, give them a four-day work week. Yeah, that, uh, honestly, I, I, the one thing that I have noticed, the, yeah, my kids have all fallen behind. I'd be pandemic. all for uh,
0: grade 13 coming back. I wouldn't have we, a problem with that.
4: We're all catching <laughs> up. Academically, they're all catching up. Every child is catching up because of what they've missed because of virtual school, because of school's being closed, whatnot, whatever it is. But we have gotten so much closer as a family because we were locked in the house together for two years. Let's say a year of it, we were actually locked in with the lockdowns and whatnot. And, you know, fear of what, what it was I, in the very beginning of the pandemic. We have gotten so much closer. We have bonded so much more. For me, like family is number it's, one. It, and
0: it should be, but I don't think you can do K to eight four days a week. I don't think you can ask teachers to teach nine or 10 hour days. And you and so you're chopping no, off 20% te- of no, the school time. No, don't teach nine or 10 hours.
4: a day. No, keep the, keep the work day as it Keep the school no, day as you, it th- is. I'm, I'm paying
0: for my education via tax for my kids and i lose 20 you're cutting out 20 percent of my kids learning i'm not okay for that. Then,
4: then bring those taxes down for schools <laughs> oh that's no. not gonna
0: i'm not gonna ask steven del duca that because i know what that answer is gonna be but you everything think he that wants you're to bringing,
4: give us tax your money conversation is going back to the economy right being going even with work from home you're like oh, what about downtown we have a we you know we have yeah, responsibility i care about, I care about I business owners have, in the city and i care about people great. who own
0: shops the economy is people the economy is people and families
4: then find a way to get people living downtown to support those businesses. Oh, it's not, how do I, I lower those rental
0: no. costs for a condominium? Gordon, would you like a condo downtown? No, what am I, Oprah giving out condos res- and cars? It is, it is your responsibility. No,
4: it isn't. My responsibility <laughs> is my mental health and my family. <laughs> so no, uh, uh, there's a way to do it. There's We have to work some things out. Yes, absolutely. Lots of conversations need to be had. But mental health first. And I think a four-day work week would mm. really bring that into people's households. It's po- and, and you're right. It's not possible for every type of job, absolutely. But for those who can do it, absolutely.
0: Mm. So the big news yesterday, we had Stephen Del Duca on this morning, and his big news was a buck a ride, obviously. And he made the point that this is province wide. I know there's people that think this is very GTA centric or even uh, GTHA centric. Stephen Del Duca told us this uh, earlier this hour.
3: In our own budgeting for this particular commitment, we anticipate ridership will grow. So, in year one, we think it's, we, you know, we expect that it's going to cost or we'll have to invest about $710 million. In year two, because we expect ridership will grow, we've budgeted $1.1 billion. What, what I've said is that as premier, I would want to work closely with mayors across the communities that have public transit to make sure, and with Metrolink and GO at the table, to make sure that we collectively make decisions that make sense. To me, this is about priorities. And for me, as a former transportation minister and someone who loves transit, who wants to expand transit everywhere, uh, this is something that I'm, I'm, I'm really committed to. And I think here in this province, we collectively, you know, the mayors, the premier, frankly, even the federal government at the table, we can, we can find creative ways to make sure that transit remains affordable.
0: So many issues there. I mean, that excites some people. It concerns others. Uh, Ben Spurs, transportation reporter for the Toronto Star and always has some great uh, stuff and scoops. He's moving beats, as a matter of fact, uh, to City Hall. He's kind enough uh, to join us now. Just in time, just in time uh, to head to uh, the uh, municipal beat uh, from transportation. Ben, uh, with, uh, with this in the works, were you more cynical about about Stephen Del Duca's announcement? Or do you see that there's some potential to get? people back and get get engagement back on the streetcars and the go train and the subway again.
5: Yeah, it's it's a really interesting proposal for sure. Uh when you speak to experts about this kind of thing though, there is some skepticism about the idea that it's going to uh, actually boost ridership. I, I think there's a kind of broad agreement that lower fares are, are good, especially for people who um, you know are struggling financially, uh, and this, this could help them out. But um, the the experts I've spoken to say that that fare cost is not necessarily the major driver of um, uh, of boosting ridership, and things like more reliable service, uh, bringing service to parts of of uh, cities that aren't served right now. That kind of thing will actually do a lot more. To 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 boost uh, ridership, then actually slashing the cost of fares.
0: I wondered about that point because I think when we make when things either start free or we make things free it's hard to it's hard to mobilize people then to pay regular prices again your industry is a great example with newspapers online or even what we do (laughs) in radio or or when music was free and then all of a sudden it's a dollar 29 a song people kind of think ah can i still get around that and and transit will be that's a that'll be a big move if we go back to regular like i live in ajax it costs 20 bucks uh to come downtown round trip um, and so, if you're doing that five times a week, it uh, boy, it adds up. But uh, but I, I do wonder if we have 18 months of sort of you know Shangri La with transit prices, and then we we jack it back up again, um, people are going to they're not going to not going to sit well.
5: Yeah, I think you know the impact on on uh, longer trips like go go trips, of course, where the the fares are higher, is going to be uh, bigger than than in the TTCs, for instance, where. Cutting the, the cost to a dollar is about, you know, $2 off the the fares that is right now. Um, but if you think about it, you know, like the reason why people aren't taking transit right now, of course, as they were before the pandemic is because they just have fewer places to go. Mm-hmm. You know, even people who are going back to the office are not going back five times a week. So whether or not it costs three twenty five dollars to get to the office or, or, or $1, uh, if you're not. Uh, if you don't have no reason to go to the office, you're not going to ride necessarily, right? And I think the other issue is that um, you know, if you think about if if someone has chosen not to take transit, it's not necessarily because the cost is too high, right? If they have a car, you know, that's more expensive than taking transit in most cases, but they've decided that that it's more convenient for them, right? To take some from A to B uh and, and get them where they need to go. They don't have to wait around, you know, half an hour at a bus stop necessarily. So, you know, reducing the cost of the ride from $325 to $1, it's not necessarily gonna make that perfect and ditch their car and all the kind of convenience that it offers them so i think actually providing more convenient service more reliable service a lot of transit experts have told me that that's what's really going to boost um uh, transit ridership
0: ben spurs kind of to join us on toronto today transportation reporter for the toronto star I, I recall um, the pre-pandemic era where express trains were just packed. You'd race I used to do a one to four shift for about a year and you you'd sprint down on the subway to get uh, to get maybe a 440 express train and you were standing probably for 40 of the of the 55 minutes. Do we mm-hmm. ever ever get back to those kind of levels um, on our on our trains, our subways, our, our streetcars, our buses again, or has the pandemic shifted all of those expectations and, and those targets?
5: uh experts have told me on this that that we will probably eventually get back but it's going to take a couple of years that um you know it, it looks like uh, a major driver of ridership of course commuting has probably changed for good that that people aren't going to be back in you know downtown offices 5 days a week but they will be back you know a couple of days a week um so so ridership will return in that sense and just the city hopefully will keep growing right that uh, mm-hmm. that the population will keep growing due to you know just natural growth and immigration and that kind of thing um and so you will eventually see in a, in a couple of years time um ridership reach what it was before, but um it's not happening, you know, in the next year or so, that it's going to take a significant amount of time.
0: It's, it's significant that you're moving to the city hall because we've been talking internally as a show and talking about how, um, there's it's a very chicken and egg principle getting people back to office workplaces downtown will stimulate economic growth but economic growth can't be like we can't just do it coming in for the odd concert or a jays game or whatever there needs to be a flow of a to b at least a few times a week um to to make downtown businesses um whether you're buying a shirt downtown or it's your dry cleaner or or, or a bar I, I, those things aren't good those places aren't going to flourish and i worry long term about the city of toronto it's a pretty massive city this is that, like We need to stimulate the economy, and we can't do that, I feel like, if our workplaces aren't at least half full.
5: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know, I'm not necessarily an expert on office usage and that kind of thing, but it, it does seem like it is starting to trickle back. And that this idea that uh, you know downtown is going to be kind of abandoned for forever is, is hopefully not not going to be the case. We're starting to see some some people come back, and TTC ridership has started to, to bump up a bit more. Um, I, I should say too that, that Del Duca's plan um, he does uh, speak about investing in more service, uh, spending about 375 million dollars, I believe it is a year on on providing more service to transit agencies across the whole province that doesn't necessarily, um, you know, go a long way, given the, the TTC's budget is, uh, you know, uh, something like $2 billion. So not a, not a huge boost necessarily for more service, but he is hoping to to add some service that would hopefully attract people back and, and make it more attractive to, for instance, you know, coming to downtown by by transit.
0: Ben, thanks so much for coming on the show. Congratulations on the new beat. Uh, it was great to talk today. Oh, thank you so much for having me and thanks for the congratulations. You bet. Um, we were talking with Stephen Del Duca earlier about uh, transit and a few other issues as well. Um, let's go shift to the municipal side of things as well. This is something that got brought up, I think, it, very much in a pandemic uh, light and with a pandemic, um, you know, focus. But the idea of having a beer or a glass of wine in the park, especially a year ago at this time, right? Nothing was open. Nothing was golf courses, pickleball, tennis, gyms, bars. None of it. And uh, our next guest, uh, city councilor, brought this to council. It got got rejected. Some of the responses are are pretty, you know, fantastical, if you will, uh, a year later. But uh, uh, Toronto City Councillor Josh Matlow, kind enough to join Toronto Today right now. You know, I'm a big fan of yours. We always like having you on. We'd like to have you on more often. But I will say I'm the only I'm probably not the only person yesterday that Googled Josh Matlow alcohol yesterday like that's 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 bound to happen right it's not a it's not a character statement it's not a flaw on your part and i i support what you're doing i support what you're doing here so i but i did i did that google search went into the workplace computer yesterday it did
2: well the uh well the uh the appreciation is mutual greg and it's great to be back with you um and you know the, the funny thing is like you know it's um Uh, you know, during the, during like the, the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, let's say the, the, the darkest days of the pandemic, as you said, uh, the emphasis of this uh, proposal was largely about how, you know, experts were telling us we shouldn't be congregating indoors with each other uh, because it wasn't safe because it added to the transmission of the virus. And we needed outdoor space to go more safely. And while, you know, there are some of us who have the privilege of having a backyard or a balcony. There are many Trantonians who don't, and they also wanted an opportunity to be able to safely see a friend or a family member. Um, and the parks were the only place to go. And as you said, for everybody, there just wasn't anything else to do but go to the parks in any cases. But you know, the the appreciation of going to parks and the value that we have about our outdoor spaces hasn't gone away, even as the pandemic has seemed to wane. And it the rules have still remained unchanged that leave Trontonians in a completely inequitable situation. Um, you know, there are people who still can enjoy a drink with a friend in their backyard, but it, they're still prohibited under, under the rules from doing so in a park. And the proposal that I'm putting forward, you know, doesn't change anything about the rules when it comes to bad behavior. So anyone who says, oh, well, people are just going to go and, you know, we're going to see another Trinity Bellwoods explosion again, or people are going to just start acting really, really badly. The reality is, people who act badly and irresponsibly don't care about the rules anyway.
0: That's right. So, Great you know, point. there's,
2: there's still, yeah, like it's, it's not like the average reasonable, responsible person is just going to like lose their minds <laughs> because they're allowed to have, you know, a drink, uh, having a picnic with a friend. Uh, so you know, that enforcement is there. We actually want to free up resources to actually go after people who really do um, behave badly. That's That should be our target. But for the average person, let responsible adults just just live their lives. And, you know, rules should be there to protect us from the bad things. But, you know, for responsible adults, they should be able to do uh, you know, as they wish in public spaces. And, uh, and in this case, uh, you know, I just I want to see a city where we encourage people to, you know, go out and enjoy our city. And this is one way to do it.
0: A hundred percent. And it's you know, th- there's an element of the human condition we have to recognize. There's an element of what the human condition has been pushed into these last 26, 27 months. I'll, I'll read the audience this yeah. comment last year at this time um, from Dr. Eileen Davila. Look, I, I think Dr. Deville has a tough job. I think there's some things she's done. I've sure. admired. Uh, but I don't think this common age is well. When alcohol becomes part of the picture, we know people become uninhibited and they're less able and less likely to adhere to self protection measures. And I'm going. Yes, at, at a certain point in time, but not after a glass of beer and not a, then then we shouldn't be having it at sporting events because everybody would run onto the field or throw things well, and we shouldn't be having it at concerts like the one I'm going to tonight because I'm going to think I can do a bass solo and jump on stage. There's still an element of individual accountability and responsibility that,
2: that that we have to have in our society. Of course there is. Well, Greg, I would I would add that you know I have a lot of respect for Dr. Davila, mm-hmm. but there were uh, there were dissenting opinions uh, a year ago when I moved the motion initially. Uh, Dr. Zane Chagla, Dr. Isaac Bogoch, uh, you know, like you know, very credible, reputable um, experts were all in favor of what we were putting forward because they knew that it would actually contribute to not only people's quality of life, but it would mitigate the transmission of the virus. And you know, at this point. Um, you know the reality is that the city is all in favor of cafe To, for example right. where you know we are we are very deliberately supporting small businesses and supporting a great vibrant cafe culture in toronto which i love but we you know we are recognizing that people are going to not just have a tuna fish sandwich at a patio <laughs> you know people are going to have a beer sometimes and so let's not be hypocritical like if we're if we're you know if we're supporting the private industry and we're supporting having people pay for drinks at a restaurant then why should we not be consistent and say if people who whether it be affordability or whether it be another you know impediment for them to be able to enjoy that experience with a friend why shouldn't we also allow them to do that in a public park the average person doesn't act bonkers at a park when they're having. A, like a, a, a drink or two. That's just not realistic. And I think that we should just, you know, worry about the things to actually worry about and not make up excuses uh, to, you know, just to do the right
0: thing. Yeah, I think there's more than enough occasions where uh, where we can do that. But I don't think we want, uh, t- you know, to be ratting out our neighbors uh, that we live with and and that are our friends in a in a park, And I'd, I'd make this case, too, since the legalization of marijuana, I smell it in the park and I, I don't partake. But I shrug my shoulders and I go, they get to do that. It seems rather silly that I, I can't invite maybe an older yes. friend. And, and by the way, Josh, still with the pandemic, we can have great debate about where we're at in terms of being out of it, into it, but maybe someone has lives with an older parent and has an immunocompromised kid at home. I'm all, so they want to meet me in the park instead of meeting me in my backyard or in my basement. I want to accommodate them there and, uh, and, and be able to do that. I I walk through these parks and there's an, it smells like a Steve Miller band concert in some of these parks.
2: (laughs) So it seems silly. I can't have a glass of beer in a park as well. Totally. And it, and it's all about, you know, it's, it, it, it is inequitable that some people have have a place outdoors to, to have a drink with a friend, and others don't. Um, we, you know, we live in a city where roughly half of Torontonians are tenants. Many people don't have outdoor access at their homes, so you know we, we do need to respond to that that reality. And the other thing, as you said, you can you, know, you can legally smoke a joint in you know almost anywhere in our city. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can't have a beer. And, you know, the reality is, is that, you know, if somebody has a beer, you're not, you know, you're not getting hit by a waft to smoke. So like the reality is, let's just, you know, if, if people, people should be able to have fun and enjoy themselves in responsible ways that don't have an adverse impact on others. And that's what this proposal does. And by the way, even within the motion, um, you know, I'm asking for better access to uh, waste disposal better access to bathrooms, Um, you know, like things that actually we should be doing anyway right now, because the things that people complain about when it comes to bad behavior in parks, they're already complaining about it because it's already happening. What, What I'd like to see is the public space to actually mitigate the bad things and accommodate the good things, because that's how you build a city that actually accommodates all of us. And you know, I, I, let's not be afraid just because we think somebody's going to act badly. If they're going to act badly, they're already doing it. They don't care about the bylaws.
0: 100%. Uh, Josh Madlow joining us, uh, Ward 12, city council from Toronto, St. Paul's. Let's go macro a little bit for our last question because the council is going to look pretty different in the fall. And I know it's such a long uh, run up and, and October seems forever away, but May seemed forever away last Christmas. So um, Joe Cressy won't be back. Uh, it doesn't feel like Kristen yeah. Wong Tam will be back. Certainly not if she becomes an MPP. How do you see council's importance growing? How do you see council changing? And I know you're all looking forward to being able to do things and legislate and govern in a non-pandemic, you know, three year span here. It's a, like it, it's it's what you've been been missing. It sounded like that's the motivation for Mayor Tory to come back is he just couldn't get done what he wanted to get done in his second term.
2: Well, I mean the reality is even throughout the pandemic a lot of good work was done. It didn't always get the headlines because obviously we were all focused on the pandemic just even in general discussion mm-hmm. in our society because it impacted us the most. But um there's so much more work that needs to be done. I mean I think I think the 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 biggest issue facing society today is uh the lack of access to a, to to housing, to a housing that people can afford. Uh and just know the inaffordability of of uh you know even household items today um and you know we need to collectively every level of government need to do their part to try to make life easier for people so i want to see the city really act on providing more options uh for people to be able to live in the city and not just be pushed out of the city because they can no longer afford to live here um, you know, we need to do things to improve, you know, like 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 the small piece that I'm bringing forward, but frankly, there are many things to improve our public realm, our streetscape, make the city function better. And ultimately, you know, I, I really do hope that if we elect a council that is thoughtful, um, you know, more pragmatic than ideological and really wants to, you know, get work done. Uh, we can make a lot of progress a big big you know what's important to us as well Mm -hmm. is who is elected provincially because ultimately cities in ontario uh only have the powers or the lack of powers uh, uh due to what kind of provincial government we have so um, I won't go. I'll digress there, but I can tell you that I'm paying a lot of attention to who is elected provincially, because that's going to have a big impact about the work that we can do uh, locally.
0: Well, let's visit again before June 2nd and expand more on that, because I think it's uh, e- equally important. Josh, thanks very much for making the time for our audience today. I always appreciate it.
2: My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Um, someone
0: uh, came in late to our discussion with uh, Josh Matlow, and said, "What was the? Doc- I'll read it. What was the doctor uh, Eileen DeVilla quote? Not a high point here. I feel like uh, she's urging uh, people to uh, not. Uh, she's urged City Council not to allow um, having a beer or a glass of wine in in a park. Here's the quote: When alcohol becomes part of the picture, we know people become uninhibited and they're less able and less likely to adhere to self protection measures." Oh my gosh! Anthony Fury uh, joins me right now. You, uh, <laughs> there's that—that's a top five Doctor DeVilla quote from the last 27 months. I, I don't. You're not going to push five at me that uh, that I would roll my eyes at more than that one.
6: So sorry. Are you telling me something <laughs> that happened back in 2020? Are we doing the greatest hits? Or this just happened the other day? This, this, this is a 20.
0: This is an April, late April 2021 oh, quote.
6: Yeah. Well, I, I got something else to tell you. I walked by Trinity Bellwoods Park over the weekend, and there were people having a good time there, Greg. Not impressed at all. We got to sound the alarm. All, I can't believe that she said that. <laughs> you can believe really... it. You and can know, believe it, though. Right. It's par for the course. Reefer Madness. Remember those old movies? Oh, my movies, God. We're back? COVID <laughs> Madness.
2: COVID <sighs>
0: Madness. By the, is this the first spring we haven't – did they paint the circles? I remember that was like a lead story last year at this time. The circles are going back down at Trinity Bellwoods Park. Oh my the gosh.
6: Circles are back. the The aliens come every year. The COVID aliens, and they spray paint them in the crops. You know, when we're not looking, I can't believe we're back to this.
0: this well, is, well, good for Josh Madlow, right? You have no problem with this whatsoever. A ton of world class cities do this, including Edmonton.
6: Oh wow! It's it is <laughs> it is unbelievable the situation that we're in that we're even having these conversations right now. It's like, all right, Eileen, you know, we got to just step away from all of this now. We've got to ghost away, Bonnie Henry. All credit to her. She was saying. We, she was saying she herself needs to ghost away she's like you guys don't need to see me anymore look these people they're paid like 250 350k a year or whatnot you can have the option of having a very stressful job or you're going on the news telling people run away from the crop circles or you can still make the 350 and just not have to worry about all this high like, stress stuff <laughs> like it was these positions existed before we had a chief medical officer of Ontario for decades before we actually knew we had one and before we knew what they did and they still made the same coin so I don't know I think they should just just
0: take it easy now important to point out no alcohol uh over 15 percent alcohol content would be allowed in parks so that blind dog bourbon that you love so much anthony that's <laughs> you, you can't that's you can't,
6: can't I didn't go to trinity Bow that's right I knew, I knew i wouldn't be allowed you I can't
0: you can't it. you can't mix up a zombie or a long island iced tea uh in uh, in high park and watch the cherry blind you can't turn it into tom cruise and cocktail uh flicking bottles around that's not that's not what we're talking about here well, i am I adamantly to to against a that.
6: ultra party and that's why i ain't going
0: That's right. That's a good point uh, by you. Um, So this back to work thing, we talked. We had Stephen Del Duke on about it. We were talking about the transit, about the return to work. Um, It's very chicken and egg. I love the city of Toronto. Adore the city of Toronto. And I, yes, I feel like I got to drive downtown every day. I should be here. I get the drill. I don't love paying for gas. I don't love the commute. Blah blah blah. But I, I worry that. that the city of Toronto will suffer if all of us, we can't just come in for Leafs games and the odd concert. We gotta, we gotta be here and make the city vibrant. But I, sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm not preaching to the choir here and a lot of people disagree and they want to be at home more.
6: Yeah, I mean, there's such a variety of perspectives here, and I was against when Jean Tory a few months ago said he was going to mandate City of Toronto workers returning to City Hall, and the whole reason was to get people back in the path and to get them shopping at the Eaton Center because there's thousands of employees, of course, and otherwise they'd be eating lunch out at the food court. So I said, "Whoa, no, I don't support this." He said, "But Fury, you're the guy who tells everyone it's totally always been safe to walk around the retail outlets, and it's true, but I also support the choice." So if people, for whatever reason, they're still skittish about COVID, I don't want to go into the office. OK, that's fine. Or this new hybrid stuff. I mean, I remember the first column I wrote on telework was ages ago, many years ago, talking about how that's an alleviation to our transit woes, our traffic, our, conge- our congestion woes. And politicians, they they ask staff to create reports on enhancing telework. Well, now we, we finally have it. So let's make use of that opportunity. And I think, Greg, most people are saying they want the hybrid. They want to go in Mm -hmm. two days, three days, four days. Depends where you're at. The the people in their 20s who really like the, you know, the 4 p.m. drinks culture, people hanging out at the office, uh, they like that whole vibe. They're going to do it. They're going to spend more time. The people who want the family balance, uh, who want to be up to, okay, i got to pick the kids up from school at 3.30. Then I'll go back to the desk. I'll work again until 5, 5.30. They're going to want to be at home for two, three days a week. And And I think places are kind of figuring it out.
0: I think they are, too. I think, And there are two different conversations, right? I think work from home and the 4-day work week are two very different conversations. Sheba and I yeah. were talking about the 4-day work week, and I'm thinking – I, I want kids in school five days a week. I know how hard our, our good educators work, and I don't want them trying to squeeze in more curriculum, and I don't want to lose... We need more schooling, not less schooling at this point in time. And given what we've lost and what we've especially lost in Ontario, but I don't want the day extrapolated out. I think in high school too, there's high schools, Anthony, that, you know, they get out at four o'clock now because they start at 10 and that cuts into the ability to play sports after or a part-time job or, or any of that stuff that that 16, 17 driving lessons, even any of those 16, 17 year olds want to do. We got to get back to what we were and then reevaluate from there. But school has to be five days a week. So working for, four days going to school, four days. I don't like that combo.
6: No, it's a good point. It sends us in a, in a completely different direction. I mean, I, I think it's good that people have talked about the life work balance a little bit more, you know, in European countries, uh, they make a point of maxing out their vacation time and, and work as a thing that uh, they, they don't need laws that tell them they're entitled to put their, uh, put their work phones down at five PM or on the weekends. It's just not a part part of their culture. They manage to just check out and go live and do other things, and, and really uh, draw that distinction. Whereas one of the big challenges, and I know why a lot of people would like to go into the office for a few days a week, is because we've blurred what is work and what is family time. It's totally awesome mm-hmm. to be able to turn on the dishwasher or the the you know the the, the clothes uh water, the clothes dryer in the middle of the day, get those tasks done while you're technically also working, but at the same time. Where does it begin? Where does it end? You can just wake up and work until it's bedtime, and that's causing a lot of challenges for a lot of people drawing that work-life balance.
0: Yeah, I think it is. Um, do you have a thought on uh, on on where we are with? Um, I know you you spotted what what happened south of the border, the political leak, and and I think clearly when Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett go you know get get put to the uh, Supreme Court justice bench, that they've got a design in mind, and the design was to put justices on that would flirt, if you will, with Dumping Roe v. Wade. I don't ever see that debate arriving back here in Canada. I don't ever do. Uh, obviously, it was something the Liberals tried to push on Andrew Shear and shear was saying i'm I'm pro-life, but I will not reopen this debate. But that wasn't even enough for some people. It just it doesn't feel like that debate's coming here. What would you say about that?
6: Well, I'm sure for some people, it's immediately come here because one of the things that's so tedious is how, uh, we have to do the Canadian spin off of the US version every time on every issue. We can't just let it sit. So people are instantly going to try and import it here and, and, and find ways to say things are happening when they're not. It's a whole different landscape in the US. I mean, I think on every issue, everything's always more extreme on both sides in terms of. Uh, The the pro-life activism is much more extreme down there. And I'd also say that the pro-choice, or uh, even called the pro-abortion activism, is much more extreme in the U.S., whereas uh, we're, I think, just a lot more chill about that here. Strong views, strong passions. Uh, There are the uh, the pro-life voices who wish Canada had some version of a law. We actually don't have any law in the books, whereas in the U.S., even in the most liberal states, uh, they do have a lot of restrictions on on third-trimester abortions, and they do in in many European countries, so that's kind of where the activism is here in Canada on that landscape. But I mean, a lot of people don't don't take it up. A lot of a lot of conservatives here would would uh, register themselves as pro-choice.
0: Do you think it even hurts? Um, you you bring me into that. Do you think it even hurts a candidate or even a uh, incumbent politician? Would it hurt Doug Ford today if someone said, "Hey, are you watching what happens in the states?" And he said, "I am pro-life, but I won't open this up." Does that even hurt him by saying? The words I'm pro life. I know plenty of people in my life that are pro life. I'm pro choice, but I respect their opinion to be pro life. I don't think they're bad people by saying they're pro life.
6: Well, look, we had Stephen Harper in office for 10 years. He had a majority for the last four years. And there's always the hidden agenda, the secret conservative agenda of Stephen Harper. And when he got his majority, there was no secret agenda. Nothing happened. The guy never mentioned abortion. Nobody ever really knew what his personal views on it were. I would say Leslie Lewis is probably the most high-profile yeah. social conservative voice in Canada right now. I did a one-hour podcast with her, and I, I'm trying to think what was really her position on abortion. And probably, I, I guess she's kind of pro-life, but just doesn't really make it a big issue in terms of being very vocal about wanting to push for it. I don't even think there's a hidden agenda there. Uh, On her part, I mean, I'm sure, you know, some tertiary aspects of the issue, she'd she'd maybe want to do some. I don't know. All I'm saying is not even the most vocal people are vocal about it.
0: No, they're not. They're not. Uh, Anthony, love our chats. Thanks very much for the time today. All the best. Thank you, sir. Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast. We'll be back with a live show tomorrow at 5.30 in the morning until 9 a.m. Lots to recap uh, from this particular Tuesday, including the official announcement of the Ontario election to come on June 2nd. And uh, we'll talk to Andrea Horvath on the show tomorrow as well, NDP leader. That's on the way. Have a great Tuesday.